Hello, and welcome to Meditations from Middle Earth. My name is Strider, and I'm a Christian worker here in where I call Middle Earth. We love to meditate on God's Word, and He's given us so many unique and rich experiences here in Middle Earth, and I'd like to share those insights with you here on Meditations from Middle Earth. I'm coming to you on a rainy Friday morning. It's, uh, it's beautiful out. I like the rain. And today is also a big shift in uh, what we're going to be doing. We're going to be kind of doing it. The format's going to be the same, but we're finished with the Beatitudes. And today we're going to begin to look at uh, Matthew in chapter 4 in our meditation time. Uh, we'll start by looking at the temptation of Jesus and turning of the stones into bread question that the devil brings him. So before we get to that, we're going to look at fasting. Jesus begins by fasting here in Matthew chapter 4. And as we've begun each one of these uh, lessons with um, a spiritual discipline, we want to look to fasting today. Fasting is a little-used discipline. Uh, We in the West don't like it very much. We've been trained pretty much to think that um, if we miss a meal, we'll be starving to death, and we don't really understand or know what it's about. It really challenges the idea of uh, can you earn favor with God, right? So are we doing this in order to earn favor or... Is there some way that the spiritual discipline is having some kind of benefit in my life? And, uh, of course, there's, there's not slavery in the disciplines. We are not slaves in the sense that we have to live under this difficult taskmaster who's making us jump through these difficult hoops uh, for his own nefarious reasons. No, that's not what this is about. Fasting is a really great discipline Uh, to put us in front of the Father in in a really special way and allow him to speak to us uh, when too often the world drowns out his voice. So fasting is a a way of focusing our attention. Obviously, it's it's a, the basic principle is that we abstain from food for spiritual purposes. Now, it's popular today Uh, in many places in the West to talk about fasting as a health benefit. And it certainly has a health benefit to it, but we're looking at fasting as a spiritual discipline today. And as we look to this spiritual discipline, what is the benefit? How does it put us before the throne of God in a way that just regular prayer does not? Because I would put it to you that fasting is prayer. To pray, to to fast is to pray. So how how is this work? And the way this works is that as we set a t- aside time to say that I need to hear from God, and in fact I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus more than food. And as we come to that realization, and maybe there's a special thing going on in our lives, some special circumstance, or or I would suggest to you that we just have regular times of fasting. I begin each year with a fast, for instance, uh, as a way of setting aside time to say, hey, I'm going to start this new year on the calendar 
and there's no real sp- spiritual significance to a calendar, and yet it, because it's a new year, uh, I want to begin this year by giving God some time in a fast and giving myself to listening to Him. And so to fast is to pray. How does that work? Well, when you fast, you're hungry. You want to eat. Your body wants to eat every day. Your body is a spoiled child. It feels like it needs to be get three big meals a day or you're starving it to death. Of course, you're not starving it to death, and you should never indulge a spoiled child. So as you give yourself to fasting and you're going to miss a meal, I would suggest early on maybe taking a one-day fast. Uh, and um, just just missing maybe for 24 hours. Going from dinner to dinner is a practice that I like to do. Um, and just, you know, missing breakfast and lunch, basically. Having dinner, not eating anything else until dinner the next night. And then that time gets given to fasting. And how does that work? Well, as you're reminded throughout the day, wow, I'm hungry. I should eat something. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to eat anything because I'm fasting. Why am I fasting? Because I want to hear from the Lord. And so you can see how this hunger in your belly keeps you focused on, well, why am I hungry? I'm hungry because I want to hear from the Lord. I'm hungry because I want to hear from the Lord. And this then becomes a prayer. Lord, I need you more than food. I need you more than food. And as this repetition in your brain goes on through the day and into the night and through the next day, it becomes a space for God to speak to you. Now, early on in fasting, one of the things you're going to discover is that you're not good at this. That as you fast, your mind is scattered. You think, wow, I was supposed to have this experience where I was really focused on God, and I found out I couldn't focus on anything. This actually is a revelation to you. Uh, It's a revelation of just how much control your body has over you, and therefore you're not free. Um, Maybe you find that you lose your temper really easily uh, because your blood sugar is out of alignment all of a sudden, and uh, you just blow up at your family or your friends, and uh, little things irritate you, whereas they didn't used to irritate you. This is all a good revelation, actually. Uh, and, and you can take those things then to God in confession and say, Lord, I didn't know that I was really this short-tempered, that these many angry thoughts were really in my heart. I was able to suppress them with a good meal. But actually, I want to bring these things to light. I don't want to harbor this anger in my heart. I don't want to become this really selfish, self-centered person. Actually, I want to be Christ-like. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to have his patience, his endurance. And now these things that were um, a demonstration of how weak you were actually become a key to your strength. Now the Lord can move in your life and you, as you invite him to come in and, and give you strength and give you endurance to run the race, to give you patience where there wasn't patience, to pour a big bucket of cold water over the top of that hot temper of yours and to say, hey, I cannot have my way and it's all right. So these are all things that fasting could reveal to you. And it's a great opportunity. As you get into longer fast, uh, don't do that right away. But as you get into longer fast, you know, you do a few day fast and then you try a three day fast. 
three-day fast, easily my least favorite fast. Because what happens is, as you go through a longer period of time without food, your body begins to cleanse itself. And there's all kinds of toxins in your body from years of poor eating habits. And now those toxins start to come to the surface and, and your body begins to burn them up. I remember the first time I went on an extended fast of, of more than three days was uh, about 11 years ago now. I, I decided to do two weeks. And by day five, my tongue had a coating of black substance on it. And I would brush off with my toothbrush and it was gross and it smelled bad. And I thought, oh my gosh, what is coming out of my body? And of course, the answer is, yeah, all the toxins from the terrible food I've been eating are all these years of buildup in my system. And now my body's purging these things. This is one of the reasons why people believe that fasting can be good for your health as well. And so as, as these things come to light, there's another thing that comes to light. Also, the, to- the spiritual toxins that have built up, all the ways I've been selfish and self-centered and focused on me, 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 also comes to, comes to the fore as I go about living my daily life without food and saying, Lord, you're more important to me than food. I need Jesus more than food in my life. So the fast is a really uh, great thing. I, I highly recommend it. I begin each year with anywhere from uh, a week to three weeks of a fast. I have done larger fasts uh, in the past. I did a month once, and then the next year I decided that before I got too old (laughs) and my body couldn't really handle it, I would go ahead and do a 40-day fast. And so I I can confess to you that I made it. Uh, I did fast for 40 days, but it wasn't easy. And the last 10 days were quite difficult um, because with no salt in my body, um, it wouldn't retain water. And and even though I just drank and drank and drank, the water just came right through me because I had no salt. And so I I, I was quite dehydrated and didn't feel great the last few days. Uh, the normal rhythm of a fast is that the first three days, um, you're pretty hungry. And then by days four and five, you're kind of feeling the effects of the toxins. Maybe you're tired a lot. Uh, by day six and seven, you start feeling better. By days eight and nine, you get into this really nice rhythm where you know, the hunger is still there, but it doesn't bother you. And you feel pretty good. You can go out as long as you don't move too fast. If you stand up too quickly, you might feel dizzy. But as long as you move slowly, you can go about your work. You can do your normal routine. And it's a pleasant part of the fast where you're just focused on the Lord reading. I usually read a lot of books uh, during that uh, period of time and take in a lot of information and then sit uh, and then I have the space because I'm not thinking about preparing food and buying food and then eating food and all that because I'm not concentrating on that. I have this extra time. You'd be surprised of how much time you have when you don't uh, focus on food. And so I, I commend to you this uh, idea of fasting. And um, we might talk about this uh, more in the future. There are so many things to learn and to know and to grow in. Um, But just to begin with, this idea that setting aside time and effort to say, Lord, I need you more than food, is a really 
important discipline to have. Now, let's move to our meditation. We begin with Lexia Divina, or the reading of the Word. And today I'm going to be reading in Matthew chapter 4. And it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'd like to stop and meditate on that for a minute. Let's say I'm just reading through this chapter, and all of a sudden, the Lord just highlights this to me. And so I want to stop, put my book down, put my hands on my knees, and sit straight, and just think deeply about, Lord, what are you saying to me in these verses? The first thing I notice is that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, Um, This is the first thing he does as a part of starting his ministry as he goes off to the desert. He'd just been baptized in chapter 3. The Lord had just proclaimed over him at his baptism, um, Behold my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And here he is being led out immediately to the desert. But he said, Behold my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And yet, here he is being led out to the desert. So, the first thing Jesus does in his ministry is he commits this time uh, to special prayer, a special time of fasting and prayer before the Lord. So, I think this is indicative to us of, of setting aside time before a, a major decision in our lives or a, a start of a new ministry. Um, that we, that we take time. We always think that time is money, that time uh, is, is this value that we, um, that we have to, to not lose and not squander. And, and in some senses, that's true. But taking time to pray is never time squandered. And so I, I want us to, to first see that Jesus goes out to the wilderness to pray and to fast. And if we're followers of him, then we're going to see this rhythm in his life and know that that's an important thing for us to do as well. So what else do I notice? I notice that that he's really hungry. And so while he is the son of God, he also is fully human. And he's really hungry. And the tempter comes to him. So the tempter, the devil, Satan, the accuser, the opposer, uh, whatever this spirit is that we don't understand very much about, he's there. And he comes to Jesus and he says, if you are the son of God. Of course, at at his baptism in chapter 3, he was just declared to be the son of God. And yet here comes the tempter, almost exactly the same as when he approaches Adam and Eve in the garden, he says, did God say that you couldn't eat from any of the trees? And he puts doubt in the minds of those who are listening to him. And here he comes trying to put doubt in Jesus's mind about, oh, are you the son of God? If you're the son of God, command these stones 
to become loaves of bread. Now, the thing that I notice about this that's really striking is that uh, he's not tempting him to sin. The Lord did not command Jesus not to turn stones into bread. It's not a sin to turn stones into bread. He does, in fact, have the power, as he proves later in his ministry, uh, he has the power to not only turn stones into bread, but to, to multiply that bread to feed 5,000 people. Uh, he has the power to make well people who are sick, to uh, give sight to the blind, um, to be able to uh, raise the dead. And so the power for him to turn the stones into bread actually isn't in question here. He can do it. And there's not really a good reason for him not to do it. He can do that if he wanted to do that. Now his answer is not to turn, is to say, no, I'm not going to do it. But it's not because it was a sin in that sense that maybe he's like stealing for somebody, you know, take these, take this bread from somebody else. That's not the, the temptation here. So why doesn't he just turn the stones into bread? But he answers, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's there for a purpose. His purpose is to wait on God. He's quoting here uh, Deuteronomy 8, where the people are in the wilderness and God feeds them in the wilderness. And, and they, they have the manna. And they go through this testing and trying time, which they fail again and again as they don't keep looking to God and they don't have faith in God. But Jesus is going to overcome that. And here's his trial in the desert, 40 days, not 40 years, but notice the parallel, just the same. And he is waiting on God to take care of him. What's the lesson for this for me? What is God saying to me today? Well, we just went through all the Beatitudes, and we looked at the character and the nature of those who are in the kingdom of God. These are the things that you do do. You are meek and humble. You are a peacemaker. You are one who uh, turns the other cheek, as it were, as, as you face persecution. You are one who is poor in spirit and waiting on the Lord to fill you. And here's Jesus demonstrating exactly those characteristics. And he's tempted to take what he needs. He's tempted to just make bread out of the stones. To not wait on the Father, but instead to take matters into his own hands. And aren't we encouraged by that in the world so much? The, the famous scripture verse that's not a scripture verse that we like to quote in our Western culture of God helps those who help themselves. But that's, but that's not found in the Bible. Instead, what's found in the Bible is here Jesus saying, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's there in the desert to hear a word from the Lord. As he begins his ministry, it needs to be a ministry that's connected to the Lord. And here's the enemy coming to tempt him to do it another way. You can just take what you need. You don't have to wait on the Lord. You can just make it happen yourself. You have the power to do it yourself. You don't need to wait on God.
And aren't we tempted to do that every day? Am I not tempted to just make something happen through manipulation? Here I am working overseas. I am more educated than many of the people around me. I have the ability to to argue with them, to convince them. I can manipulate. I can cajole. I have resources that they don't have. I could utilize those resources to manipulate and make people do things that I want them to do, that I know are good for them. Good things. But I'm not to do anything like that. Because that is not anything to do with the kingdom of God. As Jesus begins his ministry here, he shows us the way. We are to wait. We're not to take what's ours. You know, Jesus is there to establish a kingdom. Well, establish it, Jesus. Just take it. Just do it. And we'll see more what he's tempted to do in the next two sessions as we look at the two more temptations that the enemy comes at him with. But this very first one is so very basic. You just need bread. Just make it. And he says no. And of course, what's the result? As he says no, the enemy moves on and tempts him with something else. But at the end of the story, what's really cool to see is that the end of the story is that God sends his angels to minister to Jesus. Jesus doesn't turn the stones into bread. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He doesn't uh, assert himself in that way. Instead, he waits on the Father, and the Father provides what he needs in his time. This is a difficult lesson for me, to sit and wait on the Lord when people are needy around me, when, when things... Uh, feels so out of control uh, when I know that that my I myself or my family, my loved ones, my neighbors, the situation in the world, there's so many needy people and shouldn't I just do everything I can to fix it? And the answer is yes and no. The answer for that day for Jesus was, yeah, you're hungry and you need food, wait on me to get it. I will provide for you. And the answer for us is maybe we do need to minister to our our neighbors in Jesus' name. But we're going to wait on God's resources and God's timing and God's call to do that. We're not just going to manipulate things because we want them that way. We're going to give our resources, our time, our talents, our energy, our lives into God's hands, and then we're going to wait on him to give us back the things that he wants us to have when he wants us to have them. Jesus does miracles, but he does them at the Father's behest, not his own, because he's giving glory to the Father. So anything that I do that self-aggrandizes my name, for my purposes, even if my purposes are so good and wonderful, it's the wrong thing to do because I am meant to wait on the Lord. Let's move to prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all the resources you've given me. My mind, my bank account, my family, 
my team, my friends, all these people and things around me are all ways that have added great wealth to my life. I have capability. Help me, Lord, to then take all these things and lay them at your feet and ask you to give me direction about when to use them and when to hold back. Help me to wait on you to solve my problems, to solve my neighbor's problems, to meet the needs that you know we have. Lord, come, meet our needs. And it may be in the form of ministering angels or it may be in the form of just my handing my neighbor a loaf of bread in a time when he needs a loaf of bread. But let me do it in your time and at your discretion because these are all your resources as we live in the world that you created. Help me to wait on you in Jesus' name. And now today as we move to contemplation and contemplative prayer, I wanted to read from Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, as a way of leading us into this contemplative prayer. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? Open the eyes of your heart and behold the face of God. Now, let's see number six and the famous blessing that the Israelites were to give to one another. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you Peace. Amen. This has been Meditations from Middle Earth. May God be your ever-present teacher and richly bless you on your journey.